Our scripture this morning is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. We asked for a scripture reading, and we got a scripture resuscitation. We're grateful for that this morning, and the, the passion and energy of this small, short text is one that he did right to express, and I'm excited to dig into that this morning altogether. We are in this series called The Center of All Things. It's a study through Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, the letter to the Colossians. And uh, I'm excited about this series because it puts Jesus exactly where he is meant to be. Uh, the, the big idea of this whole series as we walk through it over a number of months together, verse by verse going through Colossians, is Jesus is at the center of everything. Both at the macro level of the universe, the cosmos, he's right at the center of it as, as creator, as redeemer, as restorer. And at the micro level, the center of every human heart that's coming alive, he's right at the center as redeemer, creator, restorer. Paul's going to flesh out this theme as we go. Last week, if you were here, Lloyd Shadrach taught through the opening prayer in verses 9 to 12 of Colossians chapter 1. And in that prayer, he really framed it, what it is, is it's a fantastic prayer for us to pray for one another, for those we care about, for those we love. It was the prayer that Paul was praying for the Colossians. Be filled with the knowledge of his will, live worthy of the Lord, bear fruit in every good work, Increase in knowledge, be strengthened with all God's power, and joyfully give thanks. Those six things that are in that power-packed prayer. This week, just two verses. You've already heard them read. They flow right out of the prayer that, um, that Lloyd taught on last week. They give us the primary thing we can be joyful for. The prayer kind of ends with joyfully giving thanks. Well, what should we give joy, joyfully give thanks for? Well, how about this, uh, this whole idea of being rescued, of being delivered from one place to another? That's where Paul's going to go next. Here's what I want to say about this prayer. It's, it's a little bit um, like a, a ride that you go on where you have to fasten your seatbelt. My wife, Jody and I and our three daughters, we were at Universal Studios a little more than a week ago. And, you know, we've got one daughter who's on the lower age range. She's nine years old. And then another that's... Um, uh, the top end is 14, and then we have an 11-year-old in the middle. And it was interesting because you ride a variety of rides when you have children that age. And every ride we went on virtually had some kind of restraint system. And some of them, you know, on the, on the younger end of the spectrum, I'm thinking this restraint system is not actually necessary. It's probably just for show or for the lawyers, and probably most likely for the lawyers. Uh, but uh, the other rides, you know, the roller coasters, I remember thinking if, if I was not literally restrained to my seat, I'm not getting out of this theme park alive. You know, literally, you're going to die. Your life depends on it. So this text, in many ways, is a buckle up your seatbelt text in terms of how important it is and how much of your life actually depends on it. Sounds like hyperbole, but I want to explain that as we go in. If your relationship with God has become stale, which, you know, happens to me, happens to all of us at some parts in our journey, if that's where you are this morning, you need these two verses, we're going to dig deep into them because they place us in an epic narrative that we're swept up in, and it has massive implications for our lives. If you've never really had a relationship with God, or you're not sure if you've ever really had a relationship with God, you need these two verses. These verses are for you this morning. They're going to cut past all the religious clutter and cut right to the heart of what your soul 
needs. Having set these verses up that way, and I don't think I set them up too high, let's read them together. And we've heard them read, now I want us to read them together in union and unity. So here they are on the screen, let's read together. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, buckle up your seatbelts. If you're here in the last couple of weeks, you should have gotten one of these. It's the ESV Illuminated Scripture Journal. If you missed that, I think we are about out. We may have a couple left. You can ask one of the ushers as you leave today. Um, It's not designed to pick up a second one if you've already gotten one and you misplaced it or you just left it at home. It's designed for everybody to have one at the beginning of this series and hopefully keep up with it. If you lose yours or or you want to buy one, you didn't get one, and I think we're out in the back, Amazon.com is your friend. That's what Lloyd shared with us last week. I looked on it uh, earlier today. They're available, $6. You can purchase one there. You don't have to have one. You can obviously just bring a Bible and mark up the Bible as you go. But what I love about this is the format. You got the text on one side. You got the blank page on the other. You got a lot of margins to write in. And we're gonna walk you through what to sort of write, how to doodle, you know, how to mark up this book. You don't have to stick with what we do, but certainly it's there as an instructional example for you as we learn how to study this text together. So I'm gonna be marking some things up this morning. And the first thing I want you to pay attention to in this verse is the very first word, the word he. And of course, you have to ask yourself, well, who is he referring to? And you can see in the previous verse, verse 12, there's a reference to the father. It's the father that the he of this statement is pointed to. So in your book, go ahead and draw an arrow between he in verse 13, the first word, to father in verse 12. That'll remind you, that's where that goes back to. Now, you'll notice on the screen, his beloved son has a box around it. That's because two weeks ago when we started our series, we reminded you every time you see a direct reference to Jesus, the, you know, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, any direct reference there, put a box around that. So you can go ahead and do that as well. So you've got the beloved Son, but in this case, the He is not referring to the Son, the He is referring to the Father. Now, you keep going in verse 13, you're going to find the action in the verbs. And that's just always true in your biblical study, in study of anything. You're gonna find the action in the verbs. So I want you to underline the verbs. In this case, we're gonna underline delivered us and transferred us. I guess technically it'd be has delivered us. And then the second one, transferred us. They're in parallel with each other, those two verbs. And they provide a contrast. Delivered from one thing, transferred to another. Delivered means to be taken out of a bad or dangerous situation. Transferred means to be moved or relocated from one place to another. Now, the next thing that I want you to do is put a little triangle around these prepositions because they're really important. So you have from in the first part and you have to. So we're gonna draw triangles around those two words. From, because you've been delivered from something and then to, because you're being transferred to something else. And the reason that we're doing it this way is I want you to see how Paul is navigating this argument structurally and how things go together. So you've got the verbs that go together, you've got the prepositions that go together. And then finally, two contrasting locations that serve as, in this case, the the objects of the preposition. What have we been delivered from and, and transferred to? Well, the domain of darkness. So go ahead and circle the domain of darkness. It's what we've been delivered from. And then down below, we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. And go ahead and circle 
that one. By the way, the idea of his beloved son comes straight from the words of the father when Jesus was baptized in the accounts we have in the gospel, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. It's the son whom I love. It's, it's where my affection flows. And that's gonna be important as we unpack this. So look now, because we marked it up this way, either in your own journal, in your own book, or at least on the screen, I want you to be able to see how this all works together. Delivered from, transferred to. What have we been delivered from? Well, a domain. What is a domain? Glad you asked. It's from a Greek word that means power, authority, or control. So you've been delivered from some kind of power. Now, what's interesting about this is it's working in parallel with the word kingdom. Remember, delivered from a domain, transferred to a kingdom. So what is a kingdom? Well, it's a place where a king or ruler has power, authority, or control. So here's the idea of this verse. And, and this, is, this is a big one. We've been delivered from the place where darkness has authority and power and control and transferred to the place where the sun has power, authority, and control. From the domain of darkness, control of darkness, to the kingdom of the sun, the boundaries where the sun is in charge, the boundaries where the sun is on the throne. And this is this contrasting idea that you see. Now, we move on from there to verse 14 because it's one continuous thought. It's just one ongoing sentence. And you get this little phrase in whom. Interesting, he doesn't say where, because he's just talked about a kingdom, but he doesn't say where we have redemption, forgiveness of sins, in whom, you see. Your redemption, your forgiveness of sins is in a person. Another way to think about it is the kingdom, at least for now, is in a person. It's not an actual physical kingdom that will come in the future. For now, the kingdom is in a person. Now, who is the person being referred to? Well, it's the son from the phrase right before. So go ahead and write underneath the word whom, write the words the son, if you'd like to, and put that in parentheses. That way it kind of reminds you that's whom is being referred to. And then it goes on to state in that person, in the son, in Christ, we have two things. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the last thing we'll do this morning to mark up our books here is to put brackets around those two. Redemption, put a bracket around that one. Forgiveness of sins, put a bracket around that one. Those two are connected to each other, by the way, but they're also distinct. So let's talk about these two words, and then I'm going to back up, and we're going to see how the whole thing fits together. Redemption comes from a particular Greek word that carries the idea of buying something back, paying a ransom to set someone free. So you have a slave, you have a prisoner, and someone's gonna come in, they're gonna buy them, they're gonna purchase them, but not to keep them a slave. They're gonna redeem them. They're gonna purchase them so that they can set them free. Forgiveness of sins, which is connected to redemption, is exactly what it sounds like. It's the idea that that person that's been set free, nothing's held against them. They're truly free, not just externally, but internally. There's no longer any debt. There's no more obligation. By the way, this idea of sin, the forgiveness of sin, is very much connected to the domain of darkness. You see, well, what is the domain of darkness? You're gonna ask, we'll, we'll unpack this in a little bit. It has something to do with sin and something to do with bondage. 
Now that the verses have been marked up, you can see how everything works together. He has delivered us. Therefore, we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. So he's done two things, delivered us and transferred us. So therefore, we have two things. We have redemption, we have forgiveness of sins. That's what's going on here in this text. Now, we go to this detail and, you know, some of you like love this stuff. You're like, oh, I love marking up my Bible. Others are like, man, I went in the wrong church. You know, it's like, we got both of you out there. Here's what I want to say. I wanted to do it this way, partly to show you what a brilliant author Paul is. How he is building this one sentence, these two little verses, in such a way to engage our brains, to engage our minds, but not just our minds, to also engage our emotions and our desires. Because you notice what he's actually doing here? He's telling a rescue story. He's telling a story. He's using imagery. He's using metaphor. Paul is describing the gospel in epic proportions. It's an epic rescue story. The words are designed not just to inform your brain. They are absolutely designed that, but also to stir your emotions and your desires and even to ignite your imagination. So I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about a rescue story. You know, for me, it's like, you know, movies that I've watched, you know, you know books that I read maybe when I was younger. I mean, I, I think about you know, SEAL Team 6. I think about Rambo. I think about a knight in shining armor coming in a dragon. And, and this is where our, our minds go. Imagine a hero bravely venturing into enemy territory to do battle with the oppressors, rescue the prisoners, triumphantly bring them back home. You see, that's exactly where Paul wants you to go. And can I just say, imagination matters when you read the Bible. Not in the sense that you make up things or you know, make it mean whatever you want it to mean. No, that's why we spent some really good time on the exegetical work, what's Paul getting after here. But imagination matters in the idea that the spirit who has authored this text through the human authors, it's kind of a dual authorship, intentionally used metaphor, intentionally uses imagery, not just to fill our minds, but to also ignite our emotions or desires, stir our imaginations. This is a great truth, is it not? There's nothing made up about this truth, but it's been intentionally described in a way that stirs us. It's a rescue story. When you see that, this text will come alive for you. When you understand not only what it means, but also what it means for you, when you find your place, in the narrative, this text will come alive for you. By the way, if you are an artist or, or you're not an artist, but you're a doodler or you just like to you know, draw in your Bible, this is a great metaphor. This is a great image to draw. I mean, what, however that takes you, engage it. You know, when I was little, I would have been all over that, you know, drawing in my Bible. You know, I told you last couple of weeks ago that my dad always told me when I was young, you can draw during the sermon, but try to connect it to the word of God. And I was kind of like, oh, dad, you know, let me just draw what I want to. But we got to a verse like this and I'm like, yes, you know, Rambo, I can draw, you know. So let, let it go. And by the way, why do we shut down our imagination as we get older? I don't know why. I think we're a bit impoverished because we tend to do that. Now, let's dig into this theme of rescue as some of you doodle and some of you draw and others of you just think, and, and that's, that's great as well. I want to talk about three things. I think for this text to do its work in you, for you not just to understand it, but for the Spirit of God to do the work in you through this 
text, which is always his intention, we have to talk about three things. Where the theme comes from, why it's so powerful, and how it's essential to your life. That's where we're gonna go. Where it comes from, biblically speaking, why it's so powerful, how it's essential to your own life. Let's start with the first. Where does this theme come from? It's an example, by the way, of why it's so important for you to learn to think about the Bible in a way that connects the pieces together. For most people, the Bible is like a disheveled closet. You come in and you're like, man, you know, shirts and socks and the stuff on the shelf and, you know, and re-gift presents, you know, all kinds of things scattered over. That's what's in my closet, I hate to admit. Uh, and, and, and then someone comes in and helps you organize your closet and now things begin to make sense. When you begin to see the connections between Old Testament, New Testament, between the whole storyline of the Bible, that's what starts happening to you. And in this context, if you're connecting the parts of scripture, you'll see that there is one event in the Old Testament that Paul most likely had in mind more than any other when he talks about this theme of rescue. There is one event in the Old Testament that stands above all the rest as the single defining event in the history of the Hebrew people prior to Jesus. Who knows what that event is? Just shout it out. I think you said the Exodus. He was a little timid, but you're right. You know, you could also look at the title of the message, the greater Exodus. I bet he's talking about the Exodus. Yeah, you'd be right. Now, what was the Exodus? It's that moment in time, you know, this is the story of Moses and, you know, Pharaoh and, and, and all that. Most of you are very familiar with this story where God miraculously delivered the Hebrew people, get this, from slavery in Egypt, from a domain of darkness and transferred them into a new kingdom, a literal promised land where God himself was gonna be their king. You know, he was gonna be in charge. He was gonna be the ruler. The Exodus was an epic rescue. And so it takes on this oversized role throughout the Old Testament. I shouldn't have said oversized because I don't know that it could be oversized, but it's the big deal throughout the Old Testament. The prophets refer to it. The psalmist, you know, David and other psalmists refer to it. All over the Old Testament, Exodus. In fact, there's a moment when God calls his people back from exile. They'd been exiled into Babylon, so they're no longer in the promised land, and they get to come back and, and rebuild Jerusalem. The prophets refer to that in a way that's like a second exodus. So they're establishing a pattern, an exodus pattern throughout the Bible. That's very, very important. Now, so when Paul grabs onto this imagery, he says, you've been rescued from a domain of darkness and transferred into a kingdom. They're thinking exodus. And then he goes, the kingdom of the sun, reference to Jesus Christ. What is Paul doing? He's taking his Old Testament knowledge, combining it with his New Testament theology, and he's integrating the two. He's organizing the closet. And he's saying that the greater exodus has indeed come. That exodus in the Old Testament was a shadow of the real true exodus. That's what he's saying. And, and by the way, it, the, the, the greater exodus has come in Jesus, not as a physical or military rescue, not yet anyway, but as a spiritual one involving forgiveness of sins and redemption but that doesn't make it any less epic. In fact, if you really understand the domain of darkness, which is what we're gonna unpack in a few minutes, you'll see it's even more epic. It's even more profound. 
So that's the meaning this text would have had for the original audience. Whether their background was Hebrew or Gentile, they would have known exactly where Paul was getting this imagery from, from the Old Testament Exodus. That's where the theme comes from. Why is it so powerful? I think it's powerful even for people today who feel no connection to the Exodus motif in the Bible. Why is it powerful to all of us? Because the theme of rescue taps into some of the deepest desires of the human heart. And I wanna show you two desires that this theme speaks to. There are many more, but I wanna talk about the desire for freedom and the desire for meaning. Freedom and meaning. Let's start with freedom. Obviously, the theme of rescue is gonna tap into this desire for freedom. Freedom is one of the most fundamental impulses of the, the, the human mind and imagination. Uh, thousands of years of human history have proven that the impulse for freedom is so strong that no tyrant or military power can keep it repressed forever. You know, this is where my mind goes to that uh, Braveheart epic scene, you know, Mel Gibson on the horse. You remember that famous line? They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. <laughs> I'm sitting there crying, you know, and Jody's looking at me weird. That's what this is. It's a, a longing. It's this desire. It's, you know, I resonate with that even though I live in a free country. You see, there's something deep inside of us that's just like, yes, freedom. Now, here's the thing. The longing for freedom is actually much deeper than physical or political or, or, or even freedom of expression. There is a nagging sense in every human being that even when you have all those political government freedoms, which we're blessed to have by and large in this country, we're not fully free. Not in the sense of being fully awake or fully alive or, 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 or living into our potential. You're not fully free. I'm not fully free. We, we sort of sense this in the quiet moments of our hearts. So we see Mel Gibson on the horse. It's like, yes, freedom. Another way to think about this, no matter how free our government or political system allows us to be, each of us knows there is something oppressive inside of us. Internally, there is a shadow kingdom, an instinct toward selfishness, an instinct sort toward self-protection. When we get poked, we curl up in a ball and we want to wound everyone around us with our porcupine spikes. Martin Luther called this, this idea of the, the, the fallen human nature, the sinful nature, he, he used this phrase that means the incurvature of the soul, the soul turned in on itself. Internally, we know there is a dark domain in us, a dark nature that expresses itself in a variety of life-stealing ways. And, and here's where there are two, two kinds of people in the room. There's some of you right now that are be like, yeah, man, I know. I know that's right there in me. And there are others of you that'll be like, oh, I guess like sort of theologically that's sort of true, but I don't know that that's actually practically true for me. I wanna encourage you to do enough introspection to think about ways that your sin in your life has shown up as a domain of darkness that has harmed you and others you care for and love. It's there, it's there. Do you see what Paul is saying in that context? 
This is, this is just brilliant, in, in my opinion. Paul is saying there is a darker domain than Pharaoh's Egypt. And he's saying, therefore, there is a greater freedom than the Exodus. Your deepest longing for freedom is not to be set free from political, governmental, or a social system. It's to be set free from the domain of darkness that is in your own heart. And because you need a different kind of rescue, you need a different kind of rescuer. You need a different kind of hero. And here's what Paul is saying. Jesus is the hero who came to rescue you from the domain of darkness and transfer you into a new kingdom where there is what, or I should say in whom there is what? Forgiveness. Redemption. You're bought back. You're set free. There's nothing held against you anymore. Oh my goodness. This is the kind of freedom that we all long for. Jesus did this, by the way, by descending into the deepest darkness himself, did he not? He bore the weight. He took the domain of darkness in all of us. He says, I will carry that and I will go into the heart of it. He paid the ransom of our redemption. He bought us back. With what price? His life, his blood. And then he transferred us into a new kingdom, his own kingdom, the kingdom of light. The only place where there is true freedom. Now, I want to talk about a second deep human desire. We've talked about freedom. I want to talk about the desire, the longing for meaning. And I want you to see how this is also connected to this grand rescue story that we're swept up in. Like freedom, meaning is a universal longing of the human heart. It's the impulse to have a place in the world. It's this, this longing for a sense of significance, to, to play a part in a story that matters, something grander, bigger even than ourselves, to be swept up in a, a narrative that really matters. I, again, I think this is a lot of, of why I love movies and a lot of why you know, they make so much money in novels and, and, and stories. And it's, can, can, can we be a part of something that matters? Does our existence really actually mean anything at the end of the day? Or are we just eking out as much pleasure and, and half-hearted fulfillment as we can with our 70 years or 80 or 90 or however long God allows you to be alive? Think about what Paul is saying here. The implications of the rescue story are that you matter enough to be rescued. The hero came not just at the risk of his own life, but the cost of his own life. And he pulled you out of a domain of darkness and transferred you into his kingdom. So here's what this means, guys. And, and all this is just, here's what the gospel means for you. And we don't always live into it. We don't often live into it. It means you're a part of the most epic rescue event in cosmic history. But it also means this, and this is really important in light of where our culture is at this moment. It, it means you're a part of the story, but not the main character in the story. You're not the hero. But you're the object of rescue. And there is limitless significance in that. You are the object of rescue. Now, why do I say our culture and all this stuff? Here's what our culture is always wanting wanting to do. It's going to say, yeah, you're in, a, you're in a story, all right. It's your story. You're at the center of it. You define your own meaning. 
And, and, and real life, good life is when you have all that you want and everybody else kind of just revolves around you and your happiness and your fulfillment. You know, maybe you check some boxes by you know, helping other people and doing some good deeds, but ultimately it's about you kind of building your legacy. It's ultimately about you having the comfort that you need, the health that you need, everything else that you need. That's what our culture would say is, yes, there's a story and you're at the center of it. The Bible would say, yes, there's a story. You're the object of rescue in that story. There is limitless significance in that. It grounds us, it orients us in the true narrative. So this rescue story goes straight to the core of at least two of the most fundamental desires of the human heart, the desire for freedom and the desire for meaning. That's why it's so powerful. One more place we need to go this morning. We've talked about where the theme comes from, why the theme is so powerful. Finally, how it's essential to your own life, all of our lives. Uh, I think we've lost the core narrative of Christianity. I, I think our, our culture has, has helped with that. I think we have helped with that. I think we've lost the core narrative of Christianity. Well, well what do I mean by that? People today think of faith as either a set of beliefs to be believed or as a set of religious practices to be practiced. Neither of those is completely wrong, but at its core, Christianity is a rescue story. That's what it is at its core. That's what Paul is saying in these verses. So this text asks us a question. Have you found your place in the rescue story? Or are you participating in some Christian activities and believing some Christian theology? Now, some of you are thinking, oh man, you know, he just stepped on some territory there. Isn't it our Christian theology that brings us into the story? Well, 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 yes, but just hold that thought for a minute. And I want you to ask this question to yourself again. Have you found your place in the rescue story? And, and if, that, if that doesn't penetrate deep enough, try, the, try uh, this question. Have you ever thought about your life, your faith, this way? That you were delivered and you are being delivered from a domain of darkness that's not out there as much as it's in here and you have been transferred and you are being transferred into a new kingdom with new power, new authority, not following these rules, following those rules. You see, we, we like to say, oh, I'm, I'm not in the domain of darkness, but I don't know that I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm in my own kingdom. Don't you see that is the domain of darkness? Don't you see that is the soul turned in against itself? Don't you see that that's the nature of your selfish impulse? Now, one way to answer this question, because here's what Paul would say. Paul would say, either you've been rescued or you haven't. Like either you've been delivered from the domain of darkness or you're still a prisoner. He doesn't give a third option. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I've been delivered, but I still struggle. We'll come back to that. But Paul is saying, either you're here or you're there. Where are you? Where are you? Now, one way to know how to answer that question is, is this question. And, and, and this is really important, but it's going to go deep. It's going to go right here in us, okay? Can you name what you've been rescued from? Can you name the domain of darkness in your own life? And so you might say, yes, I can. It's sin. And you'd be right. But I'd say, I don't think that's specific enough to orient yourself in the rescue story, in the rescue narrative. 
Because just saying sin in a generic sense, or maybe even just saying selfishness in a generic sense, that kind of generic answer will not produce any joy in you when you reflect on your rescue. It won't, it won't set you free to live in light of the new identity that you've been given. It's just sort of, you know, theological mumbo jumbo up here in your mind, you see. You have to dig deeper and ask this question, what is the sin that has held me captive? Here's maybe a, another way, maybe a harder way to think about it. What effects have my sin had on my life and on my relationships? How has it stolen joy from me? How has it fragmented my heart? How is it keeping me from flourishing? You see, now you're talking. Now you're getting down into the heart of it. Now, if you reflect deep enough there, you might get to the place where you would cry out for rescue from this domain of darkness. This is exactly where Paul wants to take you. Now, when we think about sin, we usually just think about behavior. You know, there's a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. Jesus didn't talk about sin that way. Jesus says, you've heard it said this and that, but I say it's in here. I say it's about your motivations. I say it's about your intent, Jesus says. And the whole point of that was for people to say, oh my goodness, I am dark. And you are. And you are. But there is good news. Because then Jesus turned around and he'd say, and you're the ones I've come for. The ones who know they're sick, I've come for you. The ones who know they're a wreck, the ones who know they're a mess, the ones that can see the domain of darkness that is entrapping them. I, I, the, the people that think they're on the right side of everything, that the domain of darkness is only out there and it's not in here, I can't help them. They're not open. Their hearts are not open to hearing. But if you can name the domain of darkness inside of you, I've come for you. I've come to rescue you. I've come to transfer you out of there into something new. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. Now, I want you to see something to help give flesh to these ideas. In just a minute, we're gonna show you a little video. It's a, a story of someone here in our body. Our mission at Fellowship is to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. That starts with someone saying, I need rescue. That starts with someone saying, I've got a domain of darkness in here and I'm gonna put my faith in the rescuer, the one who has come to transfer me. And I want you to see and hear one of the rescue stories that God has been authoring in the life of our church. Let's take a look. God brought me into a family where church was not essential in our lives. You know, we went Christmas, we went Easter. Uh, there wasn't much talk of God in my house. I just remember uh, being a child of divorced parents, how, how lonely I felt at times and uh, how angry I felt at times. I remember when I was really just overwhelmed one day. I, you know, a lot of kids making fun of me, um, some bullying growing up. And uh, I just remember, God, would you, would you just change the way I look? Change the way I look and that'll make everything better, you know? I was wearing glasses at the time. God fixed my eyes. You know, I was overweight at the time. God helped me get skinny and strong. You know, I was, um, I mentioned kids are making fun of me. Just, uh, God, help me, help me look better. Help me look better and that'll, that'll make things okay. Uh, but God knew what I really needed 
was people to love me and accept me for who I was. And that's what he did. Um, out of nowhere, my stepmom one day said, we're going to church. I said, okay, whatever. Uh, we walk in and three kids that I've never seen before in my life uh, came right up to me and asked me, what's your name? How'd you hear about the church? Uh, we'd love to invite you on this trip we're going on as a youth group. Uh, so I accepted a, that invitation and that's where uh, Jesus rescued me. My life changed a lot after that, uh, but it, I still had a lot of work in my heart that needed, uh, needed to be done. I was, uh, um, I, I had found pornography at an early age, about age 11, and that was a continuous struggle for me from age 11 until age 24. Um, I also had uh, found, found alcohol uh, at an early age, and that was a continuous struggle for me until I was about 24. So um, the way Jesus saved me from that was that he showed me that uh, I didn't have to try to seek the world or seek a, a false relationship, fake intimacy um, to be satisfied. In fact, those things could never satisfy me. Uh, but he showed me that if I came to him uh, with my hurt, you know, if I came to him uh, with my fear, you know, if I came to him with my shame, uh, that he would show me that I was fully accepted, not because of what I did or didn't do, um, but, be, but because uh, he had adopted me as his son. He had paid the price uh, so that I could be his forever. You know, I no longer struggle with pornography. God has given me freedom from that. I no longer struggle with abusing alcohol. Jesus has given me freedom from that. And I'm finding wholehearted life in Jesus. For you in the room this morning, if you'd say, I'm not sure I have a rescue story yet, I want to invite you into something. I want to invite you into the work that the Spirit of God may be doing in your heart this morning. I just want to ask you to pay attention to it. I just want to say it could be a reason that you're here. There could be a reason that, that something from this morning has resonated with you. And, and it's very simple. All you have to do is dig deep enough in your own heart to be able to name what is dark inside. And once you've do, done that, the only thing you need to do is call upon the right rescuer. Put your faith in the right hero of the story, Jesus Christ. It's very simple. You literally can just pray. You know, I'm not gonna have you raise your hand or any of that, but you can just literally pray in the quietness of your own heart or during the song that we're about to sing. You can just say, God, I need rescue. I believe you sent Jesus to rescue me. By faith, I believe it. By faith, I receive it. And then I wanna encourage you to do something. If you are there this morning, or you're not there, but you wish you were, or you still have questions, would you just do something and either write a little note on that contact card and give it to one of us or turn it into the connect point, or come forward after the service and talk to me or talk to one of the prayer team individuals that we'll have down here. And I know that seems like a big step, but in light of all this, the importance of it, it's that big a deal. And I wanna encourage you to do that. Now, for those of us who have been rescued, whether long ago or this morning for the very first time, do you feel the tension in this text of the already but not yet? It's like, well, I've been rescued, but I still sin. I've been rescued, but I still struggle. How do we deal with that? Well, that's exactly where Paul's gonna take us in this letter. 
chapter three in particular. And the big idea is this, we need to continue to orient ourselves in the narrative so that we will begin to live according to the new identity, not according to the old identity. And one of the ways we do that is in our worship gathering every Sunday, we listen to the spirit, speak through the word of God, and we respond in faith, believing what is true about us according to the word of God, and we respond in obedience, and we respond in worship. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. So let's do that together and sing the song.